0: Get ready to step into scripture with Matt and Tina.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. We are in season four of this podcast. We kicked off this new season at the beginning of 2024, and we are now working week by week through a chronological reading plan. So this is episode five. Today we're going to talk about how our God is a God of justice. So if you are reading through a chronological reading plan, if you started with us at the beginning of the year, then you are on week four in your reading, and we are going to look back at what we would have read on days 22 through 28 of this plan, 365 days total. That covers Genesis 30 to 47, so that's where we'll be going today. I'd like to welcome my husband, Matt, who's co-hosting with me. Matt, would you introduce yourself?
0: I'm Matt Wilson. I'm pastor at Ecclesia Christian Church in Conway, South Carolina. And I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of what God is doing in this area and to be able to watch what he's doing throughout the nation.
1: So last week in our episode, we introduced the character Jacob the grandson of Abraham, who we've met in our reading at that point. We saw this incredible event in his life where he had a vision of a stairway leading to heaven. And we saw how that became a recurring theme of heaven touching earth initiated in Genesis, but carrying us all the way to Revelation, to the end of the story. So we are going to talk a little more about Jacob this week. We mentioned briefly last week that one of the things that's often confusing to people when they read the book of Genesis is you have characters like Jacob, who is a follower of God, who is a patriarch of the Christian faith, of the Jewish faith, and yet he does things that are immoral. And we would like to see God issue a judgment against those, say that's wrong and here's a punishment for it because moral absolutes are helpful. We like to see things in black and white. We like to know with certainty what is right and what is wrong. And Genesis just doesn't give us that. It gives us the narrative without the commentary.
0: Well, I think, I think one of the things we struggle with is we want the grace of God, and then we struggle when we, don't, when we see the grace of God because we've been conditioned to the wrathful God. Yeah. And so we don't know what to do when we read and we don't see His wrath, but we see His, his patience. Yes. And, and so when we say we want the justice, a lot of times what we want is to see justice for someone else or we want to be able to say, well, God doesn't, doesn't judge these things, so they're okay for me. And what I think is important for everybody to understand is God is fully merciful and He's fully just. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And so what, when we look at God and we try and judge Him by human standards for the vengeance we want or the judgment we want that's why we'll never stand in the judgment seat of god
1: praise god
0: because only god is fully just but judge there's a judgment for each person so we will all be judged not just in a pool of people but we'll be judged according to each aspect of our life and not only is god fully just so his rendering will be just but he's fully merciful and the person judging us loved us so much he would pay the ultimate price for us so
1: so in our desire to find God's justice, which might not be as evident on the pages of this Genesis narrative as we'd like, sometimes in our longing for God's justice, we decide we'll step in, right? You've been wronged. You think there's a consequence due. It's not being carried out on your timeline or in the way that you would like to see it evidenced. And so what do we do? We insert ourselves we who don't sit on the judgment seat of God, yeah. and often when we seek to accomplish our own vengeance rather than waiting on God's justice, we make a much bigger mess.
0: Well, there's the evidence of this too. Look at, look at the movies we watch. Yeah. And so when we watch movies, what's the premise of most action movies? Some criminal didn't get justice, and so someone takes it into their own hands, and they have to go out and annihilate a bunch of people. And it, it very it is becoming very clear in our society that our hunger is for street justice. Yeah. You know, and so when we have that same mentality, we put it on God. Now we don't like when those we love are held accountable in a court of law. Yeah. But when someone we're bitter at is not held to the standard of justice we want, we get upset, and the same thing happens with God.
1: Right. This is an age-old problem, so we want to dig into it today. Through the scope of this passage this section in genesis that we've been reading for the past week so we're going to talk about man's vengeance to help us understand why god says vengeance is mine we are not in the right seat to carry that out then we're going to look at reconciliation which is the opposite end of that spectrum when we don't seek vengeance but we actually uh, forgive we reconcile and then we're just going to look at god's justice at work because we find a key element that is necessary to move us from desiring vengeance to seeking reconciliation. Uh-huh. And that key element we're going to see as we move through just a recap of this narrative we've been reading this week.
0: Yeah, I love, I love how the Old Testament, a lot of times people struggle because the Old Testament is a shadow of what's coming. And the New Testament tends to have a, a better picture. So when we're wrong or we see someone else wrong, It's natural to want justice. You can look at the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and there's a person we would want vengeance towards, but God gives justice with punishment but with reconciliation to reach other people. And so our tendency is to miss the blessing. We see the enemies, not captives. God sees captives. And so when we we do more devious things to try and bring about our vengeance, we can cut off the beauty of what God's going to do. So. An account in Genesis that we've looked at briefly before um, is the rape of Dinah and I just want to give a warning as we go into this anytime we talk about rape we don't want to do it lightly and we can understand there are certain offenses that are harder for us to to move on from and this one was greatly greatly painful to the people and so we're gonna we're gonna read uh, the account from Scripture in Genesis 34 now Dinah the daughter of Leah born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get this girl as my wife. Now, this, this, is, not, this is not just a crime that's happened. But I just, just think about the... the the words here. He took her, he raped her, but he views it like he loves her. Could you imagine being raped and then spoken tenderly to and then just being, I want her to be my wife. And so we look and justice is, is not just sweeping this under the rug and giving the girl marriage because I abused her. Right. And it's not letting an abuser just take a woman and rape her and marry her. And so let's look at verse 5. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled and I love that they don't just use the word raped here, they use right. the word defiled. His sons were in the fields with the livestock, so he, had, he did nothing about it until they came home. I think a lot of times we can look at this two ways, one like Jacob's kind of ignoring the injustice or we can, we can kind of prep ourselves, he's, he's going to wait till his sons get home and he's going to raise up an army um, but Jacob does something amazing, he lets himself process And he doesn't just process based off his own emotions, he's going to go through this with the family. And so then it says in verse 6, then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. and and we have to hold on to this because it's not just trying to say like a thing that should not be done this is not just the defilement like she lost her virginity this is defilement towards one of God's children this is a defilement towards this man's daughter this is defilement towards this woman's life this is a defilement in every way and it should not be done and there's not a lot of words that you could use without baiting those who are reading this and inciting them to bitterness and so when her brothers find out what happened they're shocked rightly so right and they're mad they're angry they want to do something and here's here's where we want to sit and identify with them for just a minute when a crime is committed against you or someone you love and you've been justified emotionally to respond um, but we also have to have this emotional response with wisdom because emotions can dictate actions they can make us too aggressive
1: yes so our emotions can start to rule in one of these scenarios but sometimes we just need to pause and we need to look at the correct path to justice because god is a god of justice he has a path to justice and there's usually a path to justice within the laws that are governing us Now, this section of scripture that we're reading in Genesis right now predates the law that we're going to be introduced to when we get to the book of Exodus. But we do know that God spoke to his people. We've seen many accounts of God speaking to his people, calling them to a path, calling them to righteousness in the book of Genesis. So we can rightly assume that they knew God's heart for justice.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that's key here is we don't really see them cry out to God yeah they don't go to god for what would you have us do or what is your will and i think what we wind up with in society today is we all have an interpretation of how we have wanted to splice scripture together yeah or god's past or or god's decrees and so what we do is when we when we act emotionally we either don't seek counsel and we don't pray Mm -hmm. and we wind up with our own vengeance our own justice or we can watch someone else and in our emotions we disagree with their path, with what they do, without fully understanding and seeking God. And that's when the most destructive things happen. That's when we start tearing each other apart.
1: Yeah. Well, there actually was a path to justice in the law, the law that we're going to get to in Exodus, but even as we're going to see what they had already been given. So Here's, here's the Exodus version of it. What would have been the right thing to do here? Well, Exodus 21 says in verses 23 to 25, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. Now, let's back up. This, this law was not unlike what God had said to the people when they were coming off the ark which we've already read in the book of Genesis chapter 9 verses 5 and 6 he said as for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed for in the image of God God has made mankind so the point here in how God describes laws for justice is basically that the punishment needs to fit the crime. And I think the problem with what you just described when we let our emotions get in the way and that's going to dictate our response, that's going to dictate how we view justice, is that our emotions will always lead us to a punishment that is greater than the crime. And, and in a situation like this, rightly so. Of course they're mad this is terrible what's happened but what do they do about it we're going to see that their emotions lead them to a punishment that does not fit the crime but actually goes far beyond the crime
0: well uh, a harsh a harsh reality is where god has decreed blood for blood life for life um to this point god has decreed this as though you someone's life has been taken and what we tend to look at is it's sometimes harder to live life after an offense has been made than it is to to perish in the offense. And so our our response can be even more harsh over a rape than over a murder. And that's 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 it's hard for us to even try and address that. And so Dinah's alive. She still she still can have a future. And so you've got Jacob here who's having to wrestle with how do we live in this pagan civilization yeah. where their culture and law may very well be that the king's son can do this? And we are in this land and we're kind of like visitors. Yeah. And how, how, do we, how do we do what's right living in the law of this land while still upholding the integrity of our family and trying to follow the law of God? Yeah. And so the point is that God demands justice and punishment for, that's fitting of a crime, but at the same point, um, it's, it's really hard for us to understand that God can take something horrific and turn it into something beautiful, but it's hard for Him to do that when we continue to take those horrible things and add to them greater offenses. Right.
1: So let's look at what Jacob's sons do here in response. We're going to look at Genesis 34, 8 through 29. But Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter, please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us, give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves.
0: Now this, just for a second here, I mean, this is one of God's big pet peeves. This is a warning that God has constantly given and will constantly give. Do not intermarry or they will convert you.
1: Right, so you can settle among us, the land is open to you, live in it, trade in it and acquire property in it.
0: Anytime you see, a merger, anytime the world offers you a merger of compromise, you can guarantee they have an angle.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride, and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me, only give me the young woman as my wife.
0: That sounds flattering, and that sounds repentant, and that sounds like he's trying to do what's right
1: if we forget the fact that he raped her
0: if we can just move past my my assault yeah we can move past (laughs) my offense and i'm buying you off dad right i'm buying you off pops like actually if you overlook what i've done and let me let me have the fruit like that i still deserve this woman as my wife then you'll be better off because it's still from us you'll be blessed
1: so here's what happens because their sister dinah had been defiled Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father, Hamor. They said to him, We cannot do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go.
0: Again, the deception that happens here is no different. So their response is no different than the world's. Both sides are coming with deception. Yeah. Like one is saying, if we'll cover this up, everything will be okay and we'll be a blessing to you, knowing they have an angle. God has warned them. And so then the other side's like, they don't say anything about if you accept our God as your God, if you will hear the truth of God, if you will turn, they're just going for the physical practice. This is like saying, okay, if you'll go to church, we can get married. If you'll just go Christmas and Easter with us. But the the intent is not the heart change. So whenever we go for a quick consolidation, whenever we go for a a quick solution that's not a part of God's plan, we're going to have a problem. And we have to have a heart check in that. What is the purpose of trying to resolve this? Both sides have an agenda. And we have to be careful that our agenda is God's, not our own.
1: Well, let's look at what these brothers do. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man who was most honored of all his father's family lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of the city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours, but the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males are circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals be ours? Let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. There you
0: go. That's that's the hook right there. Now, Tina, you and I have both seen uh, Women who get to an age to where they desperately want to be married. And they'll have men that'll come to church with them. Even get baptized. So like the new circumcision. We've seen this so many times. And then once they're in a covenant with each other, their their lives turn into turmoil. They no longer come, they're no longer in church. They're now their homes divided and they're in this turmoil. And what we're seeing is if there's not true change, if there's not true repentance, if there's if God is not the center of this,
1: yeah.
0: then there it's an arrangement. to a means to an end. And so here they are, they're saying to the other men, this is a heavy thing to talk to a whole civilization of men and say, let's get circumcised. Why? So the, the prince can have the woman he raped, he can have any woman he wants here. Is this woman better than our women? And they're like, no, 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 hold on, think about this. We can, won't we wind up on top? Won't we wind up with everything they have? And a lot of times we will endure pain, heartache and embarrassment as long as we feel like we're coming out ahead in the end. And when both sides have an agenda like this, it's a guaranteed destruction.
1: Yeah, no one is looking for actual justice in this scenario, for God's justice. Everyone's looking at, what can I get out of the deal? And so here's what happens. All the men who went out of the city agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized the flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. I think,
0: I think one thing that's that we would look at this emotionally and say, okay, serves them right. That, that serves them right. But realistically, did they do this to vindicate their sister or did they do this because they were embarrassed and they were looking at, we can take them?
1: Well, the justice that should have been served for their sister should have been served against the man who defiled her. And instead here, we see they are driven by emotion. They're taking what they believe to be justice into their own hands, and they wipe out an entire city. And, and that city did not do this. A man did it. And they take their women. Yes.
0: And they take their children. So we're, we're really doing the same thing. Right. And, and what, what is so heartbreaking in this is who is the victim?
1: Dinah. Right.
0: And none of this is about her integrity. No. This is about their, their honor. None of this is about vindicating her. This is about them becoming wealthy. This is about them becoming powerful. And I think if we're true to ourselves and, and honest in what we're thinking, if we're not going to God and we're reacting in emotion, we're not basing it off of what's right. We're not even, we're not even seeking justice sometimes for the person who's been the victim. Right. We're seeking an opportunity for us to come out ahead that, because we got embarrassed.
1: That is human nature.
0: It's not about my sister was raped and I want to lift her back up. It's about my sister was raped and that's embarrassing to me. Yeah. And it's really hard for us to square up with that because sometimes our emotions can be driven so hard to where we can't tell the difference between our desire to vindicate an abused person or our desire to vindicate our own reputation.
1: Human nature is always self-seeking, and that's why none of us are best equipped to be the one issuing justice. We really have to rely on God for this. Paul knew it. He wrote in the New Testament in Romans twelve nineteen, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Leave justice to Him, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That's hard. It's a very, very difficult thing to walk out because when we either personally experience injustice or when we see someone we love experience injustice, especially like our kids, like Jacob, the situation he's in here, we want to retaliate. We want to bring down the punishment, but but let's take a look at another account from this week's reading in Genesis to help us create a bridge from our desire for vengeance to God's justice. So. A key element in diffusing emotions and seeking peace that can lead to reconciliation is true repentance. And we have a striking example of this happening in the life of Jacob that looks very different from what he experienced here with his son. So if you've been tracking the life of this family, you know that prior to this, prior to Jacob having these 12 sons, this thing happening to his daughter that was awful, he had done something quite deceptive as well. Now his sons have modeled his deceit in deceiving this entire city and putting these men in a vulnerable position so that they could easily murder them, loot the city, and take the women. Their father Jacob has acted deceptively a lot in the past. We talked about that some last week. His name meant deceiver. And a key deception in his story was when he stole the birthright of his brother Esau. He He came to Esau when he was just coming in from hunting. He's famished. Esau says, would you give me a bowl of stew? And he says, only if you sell me your birthright. And then Jacob makes good on that promise by deceiving his father Isaac as Isaac is on his deathbed, really, losing his sight, looking to give a final blessing to his sons before he dies and Jacob comes in here and poses as Esau to deceptively receive Isaac's blessing.
0: Well, I think the 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 problem that we look at for Esau here is Esau trades the birthright. Yeah. I mean, and Esau Esau's frustrated. He calls him a deceiver later and says, isn't that like him? He's already yeah. stole my birthright, right? But now he steals the blessing. One was in a trade. Yeah. This one is stealing. Yeah. It's deception. And so I I, I always find it I find it frustrating that today we are more focused on the birthright than the blessing and Esau is really more offended over the blessing being gone than the birthright.
1: Yeah, and let me just refer you back to an episode where we really unpacked this whole idea of this birthright. That episode was in season two, episode 18, it was titled, Why Couldn't Isaac Reverse the Blessing? So we'd love for you to go back and listen to that, but let's just talk about the aftermath of this breakdown between brothers. Genesis 27, 41 and 42 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given. He said to himself, When the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebecca was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. So here's another example of emotional revenge. Jacob took Esau's blessing. He received this double portion of the inheritance and the birthright and now the blessing of Esau. But now Esau wants to take Jacob's life. Like you mentioned about Dinah, what happened to her was terrible, but her life was preserved. And here Esau, again, he has lost something that couldn't be returned. And again, you can refer back to that prior episode to learn more about why but he wants to take Jacob's life in return for this.
0: Again, though, we see, we see this picture with Esau and find his character. He's not looking to God for what do I do? Yeah. He's not looking to God to reverse the blessing issue. And so Jacob's actually operating in God's will. God has a plan for Jacob, but we start to see why God wants the blessing over Jacob. Esau, his reaction is I'm going to kill my brother, but we also see God at work. He has an honor to give time to mourn his father before he will, he will defile the memory of his father by yeah. killing his brother. And so God uses even, even the honor of a dishonorable person yeah. to give Jacob time to flee. Yes, And so we see God at work in this. And I can't stress this enough. How much better off would we all be if we were to seek God before we sought out the vindication driven by emotion?
1: Yes, that would be... Such an improvement for all of us. So, so Jacob does, he flees, his mother warns him, he goes to Pat and Aram, and that was the account we looked at last week when he encountered this vision of a stairway leading to heaven on the way. But he gets there and he stays with Laban, who's his mother's relative, and Laban has two daughters, Leah the older and Rachel the younger. And let's just listen to this account of what happens there. Genesis 29, 18 to 28. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast, but one evening, but when evening came he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and Jacob made love to her and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant
0: all right all right just hold on for a second I can't help but notice that that even when we are deceptive God brings about he, there's still a punishment here and we miss it he's been deceived right yeah but just thinking this through for a second for any any man watching right now um Seven years to fall in love and wait to get married uh, is, is, is a huge commitment. And for it to feel like only a few days for him, um, man, there's, there's something in that. I, I don't know how much obsession, how much of love, how much of passion, but I do know this. We can see a pent up man who is in a place right now to where his wedding night Uh, For the love that's been spoken that would see him through seven years, there's a lot of passion that has built up as well because he doesn't even realize the woman that he is consummating his marriage with is the woman he's so deeply in love with that seven years of labor could feel like a few days. I mean... (laughs) When we are blinded by our deception and our desires, we make some huge mistakes.
1: They had to be drinking at the reception. Just had to be.
0: There, there had to be something going on. I don't know what Laban had for dinner that night or what beverages were served, but I can tell you this, for any men watching right now, if, if you have struggled in this area, this is one of those pieces in the Bible where it's telling you you're not alone. Like <laughs> desire, so we've looked at, We've looked at what it is when, when emotionally we move to justice and vengeance. But this is also a warning of when passion and desire drive us over, over relationship. Like, I think if they had slowed down and the wedding night had been more special, intimate, and worshipful, a lot of heartache could have been saved. Here. For
1: sure. So when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, surprise, why have you surprise. done this to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me?" Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work.
0: I I do think it's important to point out here that, again, we are uncertain when we were talking about Jacob's daughter later being violated. It was the king's son. And our understandings of culture back then, there was a different law there. So their culture and their custom, that could have been okay for them according to their laws. Sure. And so Jacob, this is his first time understanding the difference of culture and customs. And so we did you wrong, but it's okay according to our law.
1: Well, and what he's finding out here is what God's justice actually looks like. So the rest of that passage said, and Jacob did so, he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him Rachel to be his wife. So this is so interesting. Laban has either enacted the laws of his land and culture, or acted deceptively, but either way, Jacob has been tricked into having the firstborn put in front of the second, but that's no different than how Jacob deceived his own father Isaac by putting the second born in front of the first. And that, that is what God's justice looks like when he says life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound. The punishment fits the crime. And it's amazing to me when we look at these penalties through scripture, how the punishment fits the crime with incredible precision.
0: And I think a piece we get from this is, we, we learn a couple things. One always read the fine print Like you need to read the fine print and especially when it comes to the word of God. But also we see that there are those who know the law of the land so well, they can manipulate it in order to take advantage of us. But you can never outrun God's justice. Yeah, God will always vindicate.
1: So let's look at what happens after this. So Jacob now has these two wives. He's worked 14 years and he is going to take those wives and all the children they born and returned to his homeland. Genesis 32, 1 and 2. Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now we know that Jacob already encountered angels of God before on his way to Paddan Aram. That's what we looked at in our episode last week when he was fleeing from Esau. And that place he called Bethel. Now he encounters angels again, and he calls this place Mahanaim because he recognizes that there's another camp present. That word means two camps. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a record here of what the angels actually said to Jacob in this conversation, but the very next verse can help us make some inferences about it. It says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir the country of Edom.
0: Hold on, you cannot move past a a bomb moment like what you just said and move away from it. I have never caught that before. That he realized there's another camp there and it's a camp of heavenly hosts. Yes. Like that is just such a powerful moment that while you see where you're at and you feel alone, that you can identify you're not alone. Yes. What you were encamped in there's another camp around you. Yeah, That was so powerful, that was good.
1: So the thing that you need to know about Seir, where he sends messengers to, to let his brother Esau know that he's traveling, that's not on the way to Canaan. So Jacob left Laban to return to Canaan, just like he had left Canaan 20 years earlier to escape Esau's wrath. Now why? Is he going to send messengers out of the way to to go go alert the man who he had to flee from for his life? Well, I believe it's probably because that's what the angels told him to do. So let's keep reading. Genesis 32, 4 and 5, he instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So God is bringing Jacob back to the promised land, to Canaan, but he knows there are two camps here. And some conversation has happened where now Jacob is recognizing I've got to make right some wrongs because I have sinned and there has been injustice done. And even though 20 years have passed, that obviously didn't negate Jacob's need to repent.
0: I often catch myself reading the Bible and I'll be like, man, we're, why is there not an extra verse there that tells us what was in that conversation? You know, like in Acts 16, we have a moment like that. And I found, although you may not know exactly what the word of the Lord was in that conversation, you can dictate a better understanding based off the fruit that comes yes. after that conversation.
1: So here's the response. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So this does not look like his offer of peace is being favorably received. It sounds like he's actually coming to him on the war path. So let's read Genesis now, 32. If we look at
0: it with worldly eyes. Yes. If we look at worldly eyes, our instinct is not that God has turned our fears into a blessing. Our instinct is always, okay, God, okay, I did what you asked me to do. I repented. I did what's right, but now war is coming after me. We panic so easy, and I think so many times we can even have a conversation with God and then in our fear just just kind of walk scared.
1: Yeah. So verses 7 through 12 say, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, this group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you had shown your servant. All right, so just check that
0: right there. That piece is the the point I was making. You walk in fear, but there's this moment of, he's had a conversation, we don't have access to it, He's, he's walked in repentance, and now he's walking in fear, but what's his response? The one thing we've not seen in any of these accounts. Humility. And to go to God. Yeah. To remind God. And we know we're not reminding God of something, but it gives us assurance as we remember what he promised
1: us. He says, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. He's counting his blessings. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers and their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So great example for us in that prayer. He humbles himself. He shows this attitude of gratitude. And he prays the promises of God, which is something that we need to do. I used to
0: get so offended when I would hear people pray and they'd say, Lord, you said in your word, you know what I mean? And I would be like, why, why are you flexing right now? Are you just trying to show everybody you know scripture and you're trying to remind God what he said? And the more I read the prayers of people in the Bible, the more I realize they're reminding themselves as they call back what God has promised.
1: Right. And sometimes, sometimes I, I do think
0: it's important that we remember, that we remember as we call, call out to God, God, to speak his promises yes. back.
1: That shows our faithfulness and our
0: it reminds us to depend on his promises.
1: Yeah. So Jacob sends his servants to Esau. Each one has a large herd of animals to give to Esau here as a peace offering. Verses 17 and 18, he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob, they are a gift to my Lord Esau, he is coming behind us. Now, watch God's justice. We are seeing a complete reversal of what had previously happened because Jacob-
0: Yeah, Jacob had been told, He'd been given the blessing by Isaac, and when Esau wanted to reverse this blessing, Isaac told him, I can't. You're going to serve your brother. He's going to be greater. And here, you've got Esau hearing from his brother Jacob, I'm bringing you gifts. I'm coming as your servant. Right.
1: And so, I mean, this is
0: this is one of those moments of complete humility. And I think maybe, just maybe, also an overreaction have that fear, I've reminded God of the blessings, because we're going to see God work here. Yeah. But I'm actually going to, in, in order to save my life and my family, I'm going to give up what I took from you. Right. And I'm going to give you headship back. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's a powerful moment. And in that, we would be confused, like, well, why are you giving up what God has promised? You just reminded God of what he promised. And I think the, the important thing is to remember the difference between. When our fear not only drives us for vengeance from others, our fear can also drive us to give away what God has promised and God has blessed. Yeah. But in the end, if we stay faithful, God makes everything right.
1: Right. So here you've got Jacob who is willfully placing himself lower than Esau, which was a complete reversal of the blessing that had been spoken over him by Isaac in Genesis 29 in Genesis 27, 29, Isaac had said, May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. He's flipping that, calling Esau my Lord. And now he's alone, he's waiting for this encounter, and we've got this crazy account of Jacob wrestling with God. This is Genesis 32, 24 to 28. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And And this account, even though it's strange, is actually a picture of God's justice as well.
0: This is the first MMA match (laughs) in the world. Man, Messiah, and accountability.
1: So Jacob, he's been a deceiver all his life to this point. He has struggled with humans again and again. He struggled with Esau and with Isaac and with Laban and his father.
0: And his father. He had to struggle. Yeah, I said Isaac. Oh. My
1: bad. (laughs) All right. Let me do that again. Okay. So he struggled with humans again and again. He struggled with Esau. He struggled with Isaac. He struggled with with Laban. Laban. But But God God has never stopped stopped striving for him. And now he has stripped Jacob Jacob down of all his self-sufficiency. And his His new name means Israel, which is God strives. strives. Jacob realizes, I cannot deceive my way out of this one. I've got Esau coming at me, he's got 400 men with him, I have got to just humble myself, I've got to return what I deceptively took. And so he holds on to God until God will give him a blessing, and so God says, you've overcome. See, sometimes God's striving for us may look like his reducing us to a place of total dependence on him to bring us to the repentance that's going to change the narrative, that's going to take us away from retaliation and vengeance and bring us to a place of reconciliation. And if in that space we will hold on to God rather than taking matters into our own hands, we too are going to overcome.
0: Well, I, I think what's beautiful throughout the Bible is this picture of God. We, we tend to ask God, why is this happening? And then we allow emotion to take over, fear to take over. Yes. But we look here and what he's saying is in all of your struggles with man and your struggles with me, I've been fighting for you. Right. I've been, I've been working everything towards your good. Look, at, look back at what you just said. You came with nothing but a staff and look at what I'm sending you with. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Daniel where God, God sends the angel to him and he says, I, I've been fighting. Yeah. I, th- the, the only reason from the moment, moment you began, began to pray, heaven heard you and I've been sitting in response, response but, but I've, I've been fighting for you. Yeah. And, and look at what, what, there's something in the name, this name, name, this Israel, name Israel carries him, carries a, a nation and reminds them constantly, God is striving for you. But, but look, look at say our say name today, Christian. We are drawn back to be like Christ. We are drawn to Christ and what did Christ do? He came to show on earth God's striving to redeem us.
1: Yes. And so
0: we still walk in a beautiful name as the new Israel today, that God strives to save us. God yes. is striving to make all things for our good.
1: Yes. So let's look at the outcome of this. Genesis 33, one through nine, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, He put the female servants and their children in the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down, and last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau said, What is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So, what a picture of repentance that that we have have here. Jacob has acquired all this great wealth, which which is in accordance with with the double portion of the firstborn who has the birthright that that he took. And here he's not not only positioning positioning himself below Esau in repentance to reverse the blessing, but But he's he's also giving giving Esau his wealth, which is is like returning the birthright that he took. And what's even more incredible, and here's another picture of God's justice, is Esau Esau doesn't need it. Esau Esau moved forward. He didn't kill his his brother. He wanted to. He didn't see it through. He moved on with his life for the next 20 years, even though Jacob had wronged him. He didn't sit in that wrong and think, retaliation and revenge is the only way I'm ever going to move forward. And because he moved on, God still blessed him, and He blessed him so much that Esau doesn't even need that birthright anymore. He, does, he, he doesn't accept Jacob's wealth that's offered to him.
0: Well, I, you know, I can't help but see this beautiful picture of the New Testament repentance where we deserve death. Yeah. We, are, we bow. This person runs to us, embraces us, and kisses us. So instead of vengeance, we find acceptance. We We find find reconciliation you know I look at at the parable of the lost son who comes back and when he's returning to his father in repentance he he says I'm he's he's got got this whole story this whole this whole testimony rehearsed rehearsed of how I'm less than and and I just need to be your servant servant. much much like like we see here here with Israel Israel. and And instead, instead the father runs to him cuts him off, doesn't, doesn't let him go through the speech, embraces him, yeah. and reconciles with him. I, 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 can't I can't help but see where we deserve, deserve death. Yeah. God brings reconciliation. And it's such a beautiful piece for us. So, so as we, we look, look, let's just look at this parable from Jesus. Luke 18, 1-8. 1-8. Then Jesus then told Jesus his, his disciples a parable to show, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He, he said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God, nor cared what people thought. And that's, 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 a, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty tough situation where you go as a person of God and you need fair justice, but this person does, can't be swayed by emotion or opinion and is not swayed by an a obligation to what is morally right by God. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I, I mean, when a woman is desperate, even, even judges have to be able to see that, right? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? He will, keep putting, will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? And I find this so powerful. We're going to read throughout the Bible, especially when we get to the book of Judges, of people turning from God again and again and crying out. We saw this. Throughout the Bible, we, we see it in Exodus, we see it in, Exodus, see it in Judges, and yet, yet when they cry out, God turns, He hears them, He gives them gives vindication. And so, when we've been, been wrong, wrong and we're tempted by this notion of revenge, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't we, we do so, so much better just to go to God and wrestle with God? God over? Yeah. Just, just to, to continually cry out to God. God. We, we do this in prayer, like the widow in Jesus' parable. We, we, we can rest assured that, that God loves justice and He loves, loves people. So He will deliver us and He will deliver, he he will deliver the punishment that is, is just and fitting of the, the crime, crime that's happening. And, and so, so when we wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly turn to Him and, and we, we hold on, on to Him even when it doesn't make sense. Even, even when, when we don't see how it's going to turn out for our good, good. think of Jacob, Jacob as he's, he's returning to Esau. It doesn't make sense. I know your promises, God, but it doesn't make sense. He, he can, can bless, bless us no matter, matter what. And we, we don't see how he's working. Right. The hardest time is to sit is in the anxiety because, because we don't see how God's, God's working, working, but nothing produces greater joy than when God fulfills his justice for us. Yes. And, and then, then we're, we're like, like, oh, all that panic, all that worry, that's, worry, that's when our, our greatest, greatest worship, worship is, right? Is, right? And, and so, so no, no matter, matter what, what wrong has been done, done to us, We We know know who our Father is, we know who God is, is, and we we can turn turn to that. that. So So if if we we want want to see God's justice, then then we have have to be be willing willing to do like Jacob. We We have have to to be willing to come to a place to where where we acknowledge our wrongdoings of others and we're willing to pay that price. If we're willing
1: to repent and accept whatever consequences can come our way, not unjust ones, but to do what's right to the best of our ability, then we can see that God not only
0: can bring a grace and forgiveness into our life, but also also we can have reconciliation reconciliation because we can forgive forgive those who may have done us wrong. Yes. You know? And so Jacob is seeking justice from God to protect him. him. And what what we see with Esau is Esau is not looking looking for justice. He's not not looking for God to vindicate anything. He is blessed.
1: And he has had time. And that's a key
0: piece. We wonder sometimes why God separates us, but sometimes there's a time that needs to be in place so that people can heal. So that, so that they, they too can see God's work, work in their
1: lives. Yes. And when, and when we, we see that come together, together, reconciliation
0: can happen because now we're not, we're not just coming together, together as two people who had a conflict. We're coming together, together as two people that have a testimony of the goodness of, goodness
1: of God. And that time can certainly make reconciliation easier. But again, it doesn't negate the need for repentance. And that's where we see... Jacob walking in the right path here is that he's still, after 20 years, he's going to return what he took, he's going to make this right, and that's going to lead to reconciliation. Now here's an amazing thing, after that reconciliation happens, Jacob and Esau part ways. Reconciling doesn't mean that someone who was our enemy now has to be our best friend. It just means that we have left room for God's justice. To, to be, be carried out and, and so a problem, problem is solved forgiveness is, forgiven, is given peace is restored and that, and that is God's desire yeah. Yeah. While, yeah. So, I mean if you if stop, and stop and think
0: if, if we, we have bitterness between us, between us and no reconciliation, reconciliation we, are we are tied, tied together, together in that bitterness, bitterness. We're, 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 we're not, not we're, we're not free of each other at any point but once that can be resolved that reconciliation happens means we're free now to move on with our life look at the Apostle Paul again a persecutor of the church He reconciles reconciles through Christ, Christ, becomes a part of the church, but he does not stay with Peter and the other disciples. They are reconciled in mission and in heart, but they are divided in location so so they can continue continue to carry out out God's will.
1: Right. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be at peace with him. He wants us to be at peace with each other, and he will repay. He is going to issue judgments that are just, and he will cause the punishment to fit the crime. We see this so strikingly apparent in the story of Jacob over and over again, our job in this is just to turn it over to Him. And sometimes it requires wrestling or striving in prayer, because when a a great injustice has been committed, like where we started with Dinah, it's difficult to turn that over to God and trust His judgment. But it puts us in a place of total reliance on Him and That's when when we we can find find out that he's been striving for us all along. And And so we we have have to maintain love and we have to wait on him, put aside our desire for vengeance and rely on his justice, knowing that even in these accounts in Genesis where where his justice may not be delivered as clearly as we would like to see it evidently written down on the page. page, it is happening. So So we hope hope that this episode may have answered some questions you have about this deception that we see at work in Jacob. Where's the the consequence? consequence The consequence is there, but sometimes it takes 20 years to play out and it's a punishment that fits the crime and God is seeking to restore things to peace. peace and to an equilibrium where justice is served, it's not too much, it's not too little, but people can be at peace with Him and with one another. A solid way of knowing if God is actually
0: disciplining us is that God will walk us into the consequences of our injustice, but through that, He will bring about, if we are repentant, a blessing to where we wind up better than we were before.
1: So we we hope hope to see see you you back back next week, and we'll continue continue walking walking through through the book of Genesis and start digging into Exodus as well. well. See See you then. then.